Ladies and gentlemen, you know what that sound means. It means that it's episode 112 of the Personal Arrogance Podcast, starring me, Eric Walquist. And as always, starring my best buddy, my best companion, and the best man at my future wedding. Jesse, the terrible treble Wilson. Jesse, how you doing? I turned up your bass a little bit this week. Oh, that, that that's not going to work. I hope the listeners can hear that. You need to drop the bass. <laughs> I think so. I'm doing good. I put my back out this weekend. Wow, you uh, are getting old. <laughs> I know, right? I went. Uh, I was at my buddy's house, uh-huh. and uh, he has a pull-up bar. <laughs> and I was, I was feeling a little gamey, and I decided to do a pull-up. Was this at Dan's house? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> and uh, I did one pull-up. I like, I pull my shoulder muscle. Oh. Like that was a bad idea. Yeah. So that hurt. And then like the next day, I think the rest of my upper back like compensated for my weak muscles and i was having like back spasms all over my mu- oh, upper man. back you marshawn lynched it. it it was pretty gnarly yeah that was uh that's rough man and then on monday i was mm-hmm. thinking like I, I was at the point i had written the text i was gonna send my boss asking for the day off but i'm kind of new at this job so i don't want to like pull moves like yeah. that so i decided to go in anyway yeah and it was like make it or break it time and then by the end of the day i actually felt pretty much Oh, you got the uh, the the keg lifting therapy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You could you could have you could start one of those things, you know, like the city slickers, but it'll be like beer brewers. <laughs> yeah. What ails you? Oh, what ails you? That's perfect. Yeah, exactly. We oh, got, I like it. We got ales for what ails you. <clears throat> well. That's how I was. How are you, Eric? Uh, doing great. Uh, had a good weekend, kind of low key. Went to uh, went to Vashon Island, stayed in a teepee. That's um, cool. It was coolish. Yeah. Why? Yeah. Do you, why? Apparently, it's like the only place on the island that you can, uh, that you can camp. Uh huh. And so, uh, did you get hippies? We got hippies, but it was also the last weekend that this place was ever open. Like it's closing down. It was we were there Friday, Saturday, closed down at the end of the day Saturday. Oh, that's wow. Yeah. And it's like going out of business sale. Yeah, and it was Did just, you take the TP with you? Oh, I sh- we should have. You totally should have. <laughs> I don't know. See, that's the thing. The TP was They're designed the- for easy transport. <laughs> well, they these are like traditional like uh Plains Indian uh teepees. Uh-huh. Um, but let's just say it wasn't quite worth the cash. Oh, uh, but it doesn't really matter because it's not there anymore. It was an experience. <laughs> um, apparently, a lot of people agree with you. <laughs> well, it's also like just in this residential area. Apparently, they're getting a bunch of flack from their neighbors, so they kind of shut it down. But uh, one thing is, so we were we like went and lit, like lit this campfire. I chopped wood for the first time in my life. Uh, oh really? Without... I used to have to chop wood as a chore as a kid. <laughs> See, I never had like I had no experience. I probably looked like a doofus, but I felt like the like the manliest man of all men chopping I hate this chopping wood. wood. <laughs> well, chopping like six or seven is good. My hands were literally filled with splinters wow. uh, from this activity. Uh, I mean, you can wear gloves. Well, not at the TP place. They didn't have gloves there. Uh, well, that might be why they went out of business. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of a lot of a lot of splinter lawsuits. Um, but then we, so we, we like made this fire and then all these hippies came around, but Lydia left the light on in the teepee so we could kind of see where it was. It was kind of this glowing beacon. 
But the problem with that is once we got back into the teepee, filled with insects. Oh, <laughs> yeah. It was like the crane fly militia in there. <laughs> it was crazy. The crane fly, fly cavalry. Right. It was like they were like our sentries. They were guarding us. Like just all the, all around the inside of the tent was filled with crane flies. Well, that's... That's okay though, because crane flies are helper bugs. Well, they are, they're also terrifying. I'm not a big bug guy. <laughs> so we turned off the light, went and brushed our teeth, came back. Luckily, all the crane flies had left at that point. They're piecing out. Crane flies are gone, but it's filled with earwigs. <laughs> oh no. Yeah. <gasps> huh. Needless to say, we only stayed one night. We were scheduled for two. And, uh, and then we, and then the next day we went to the sheepdog trials, which was really fun. Uh-huh. It was like Babe in action. That sounds pretty cool. It was really cool, and then we came home. But all in all, very relaxing weekend. That's awesome. I, that's a great idea to go to Sheepdog Trials. Oh, it was super fun, dude. It's fun to that like, root like for dogs. That sounds like a lot of fun. And uh, we sat in a pile of bees. It, it, was a, it was a little <laughs> bit of like, it was like a really up and down weekend. <laughs> sat in a pile of bees? We sat in a pile of bees. Did you get stung? No, we moved. Uh, <laughs> and then... <laughs> This family sat in a pile in the same pile of bees, and then they got stung. But it was a good weekend. It was a good weekend. <laughs> oh, no. um, but I guess we should get on with the show. So, Jesse, what are you drinking this week? I'm drinking something pretty interesting. Yeah. Uh, you know Samuel Smith, the classic English brewery? Oh, absolutely. Famous for their oatmeal stout, uh-huh. among other things. And yeah. they have a winter. I forget what their winter's called. Uh-huh. Uh, but I, I picked up a new Samuel Smith that I had never had before. It's the old brewery Tadcaster, the famous Taddy Porter. Oh. And it's um I've actually been getting into the history of porters and Baltic porters lately. It's got a really rich and complex history. So I've been enjoying drinking some English original English style porters. This one's really good. It's um not too heavy, not too dry with a nice kind of mocha colored head on it, and it's really Easy drinking, uh, yummy porter. That's good. Uh, speaking of porters and stouts, what's the difference between a porter and a stout, by the way? That's funny. Tasha just asked me the same question yesterday. Um, well, port- porters traditionally are brewed with brown malt, whereas uh-huh. stouts are just uh, black malt. Oh. So stouts should be, unless you're making like an oatmeal stout or an imperial stout, stouts are a little drier, whereas a porter is going to have a little bit of a... Slightly sweeter, uh, heavier mouth feel to it. But, I mean, the definition of porter has changed a lot over the years, too. So, I mean, you can make... There's a lot of stouts that you could probably get away with calling a porter and vice versa. Well, uh, so I had a a stout, uh, an aged stout for my birthday. I aged it for an entire year and then drank it. I saw that. It was was so good. Oh, it was so good. It's Firestone Walker. (laughs) Uh, it was a limited edition stout that they released in 2011. I aged it for a whole year. It had an alcohol content of around 14 to 15 percent. Damn. So boy. I drank like a third of a glass and I was feeling it. Nice. Uh, but it was delicious. But tonight I'm drinking. I'm actually changing it up a little bit. I'm doing the uh, a little rye whiskey from the Woodenville Brewer or Woodenville Distillery. How's uh, that tasting? Oh, it's smooth. Is it? It's real smooth. I love it. That's good because I had a I had some Woodenville. They're they're young distillery. Yeah. I I had some about a year ago and it was super hot. Yeah. And it it was a little it was a little tough, but 
Uh, they're they're definitely coming around. Yeah, I like their stuff, and I'm drinking out of a beer tasting glass, just so you know. I'm I'm not abandoning the the brewing entirely. <laughs> Uh, but uh, but I guess uh, before we get to the show, I want to do a little bit of listener feedback because uh, we're getting quite a bit. Um, last week, as you, as everybody knows, we did the Fantastic Football League, um, <laughs> which is really fun. That's our that's our fun annual event post packs. Uh, but we got a response from Aaron Rahman or Aaron Raham from uh, from the Hex Nineteen podcast. You can check them out hex nineteen dot com, and he sent in his fantastic fantasy football picks. So for QB, he he picked Joe Bluth. Uh, the scene where he tries to throw a letter out to the ocean shows he's got heart and aptitude. I, I like that pick. Yeah, I feel like you're asking for trouble though with anything Bluth related. Yeah, he could definitely be a bit of a uh, locker room cancer. <laughs> I think, but at the same time, he's an illusionist, so he can trick plays right right up his alley. <laughs> yeah, totally trick play heavy. <laughs> I love it. Uh, but then he'll be like, "It's an illusion play." Yeah. <laughs> it's not a, not trick, a play. trick play. It's an illusion play. Uh, and then actually, the running back would be Mr. Bubbles from Bioshock, or or not Rex from Mass Effect. I guess it's a tag team. Um, they won't be taking it seventy yards because they're pretty slow. But uh, you know, they would they would do be able to do some goal line stands. Um, yeah, or not Rex is a great pick. Totally. Uh, wide receivers. Uh, that would be Glenn's favorite. Glenn also from Hex Nineteen. His favorite Marvel villains: Stiltman and Lady Stiltman. Infinite stilt legs, and yes, they are real characters. I like this pick, but because it goes right along with my former wide receiver picks with like Inspector Gadget and also my running back pick last year of the Ent. I like getting up above the field. I feel like that's a good thing. Um, uh, defense would be Pokemon. Great pick. Nobody's done it before. Uh, I feel like you know you have the whole Pokemon cadre. That would be really, really good for for a team. A lot of versatility there. A lot of versatility. Uh, a lot of different situations, and you can always you could you have good matchups, I guess. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Captain Falcon is a kicker. I think we've had somebody pick Captain Falcon in the past. But yeah, Captain, well, it's it's a solid choice, super solid choice, probably the best choice for a kicker. Um, and then a head coach would be Jeff Winger, who I love from Community, uh, master giving inspirational speeches, and the rest of the rest of the study group can round out the coaching staff. I love that idea because I love Community <laughs> so much. Uh, so I love this. I love this team. Um, and, uh, I don't know. I think that, I think they're going to give our teams a run for the money, but you can check out our fantasy our fantastic football picks, uh, in last week's episode. I also want to give a shout out to some of our new Facebook friends friending us. Uh, that would be Alex Nunn, Jer- Jimmy Hall, Diana Redubel, uh, Mark Gibbons and J.I. Lennon. We'd like to say hi to you for friending us on Facebook. And, uh, and we also want to thank T. Patroy for writing us in, wishing me a happy birthday, and telling Jesse that he's never seen Terminator either, so Jesse can't feel totally lame <laughs> for not doing that. Get I, it on Netflix. Get it on Netflix. I think uh, Streaming. my favorite tweet to us this week, actually, Jesse, was from your sister. <laughs> uh, and she said last week when we were talking about Fantastic Football League that... Uh, it reminded her of us, or we sounded exactly like the BattleBot commentators. Which is, I will take as a compliment. Huge compliment. I think she meant it as a compliment, and I think we're taking it as a compliment. Yeah. Have you, Did you used to watch BattleBots? I watched the hell out of that show. I think I've probably watched every episode of BattleBots. I loved that show. I have, I feel like I have a very staunch BattleBot 
schematic in my head of what would be like a great battle bot. What would it be? We gotta have the spinning parts. The spinning parts always ruled. Uh, they so, look cool, but I don't think that you get a lot out of it. You do. It's good offense and defense. Because mm-hmm. basically, what I would do is I would have like a box, and it would have four like quarter pipes on the side, you know, so it'd be like curved up, so you couldn't mm-hmm. like run into it directly. Then in the middle of each of the quarter pipes would be a buzzsaw blade, and then on the top of the box would be a propeller with a spinning uh, a spinning propeller with two giant weights on either side, like maces. And then you just basically run into people. They would go up the ramp, get caught in the buzzsaw, and then get hammered by the propeller. Well, okay. One thing about buzzsaws <laughs> is buzzsaws don't really work on metal because you need a lot of pressure to cut through metal with a buzzsaw. It'll mostly just ricochet up and off of it. But that's, that's also good. You want to... Basically, I feel like my design would, would allow other BattleBots to battle against themselves. Well, here's my design. All right. Super low to the ground, super heavy, almost like a flat square with mm-hmm. uh, wheels, probably not treads, but wheels on it. Yep. Like a maneuverable tile almost with a forklift on the front. And this is, I, I swear, this is how the majority of BattleBots became victorious it's the lifters uh-huh just a little forklift lifter tip them over game over <laughs> well maybe we need, maybe we should explore this further i think that we put a lot of thought into it yeah well uh, i'll apply for scholarships for advanced engineering degrees and uh there's only one way to prove this eric there, there's only one lifters will win i don't think so <laughs> uh, so, uh, Jesse, we're going to get on with the show here, but before we do, who are we dedicating this episode to? Well, I want to dedicate this episode to my lovely GF, Tasha. Way to go. Who's, uh, she's, she's been a trooper. We're, we're heading into the second half of the final trimester here. Um, light at the end of the tunnel and, uh, as, just as Joe, been, as Joe Booth, Bluth would say the final countdown. Yeah. Totally entering the final countdown here. Yep. So, uh, I just want everyone's positivity and good vibes headed towards her. All right. Good vibrations. All right. Let's, uh, let's go ahead and do our little tiny mat roll off. We'll see who gets to talk first on this week's show. Uh, ooh, I rolled an 18, Jesse. I critical failed. Oh, king of the cast. Yeah. Yeah. Do you get to be king of the cast? I thought that was only on a 20. I think if it's a critical failure, it's also king of the cast. Okay. <laughs> all right. I'll go with that. <laughs> okay, all right. Um, all right. So my first topic this week is going to be some Star Wars theories. Uh, this is awesome. I'm very excited about this. So as you know, a while back, the r slash fan theories Reddit uh, page uh, opened up. Oh, yeah. It's been littered I... with fan theories. A lot of fan theory suggestions and uh-huh. also a lot of crappy fan theories. <laughs> but some great fan theories have come out of it. And uh, I really want to highlight some Star Wars fan theories that I love so much. Um, so the first one was posted today, uh, and it linked to overthinkingit.com. It's an article uh, that's written by Ben Adams, where basically he says that a huge part of the fall of the Empire was actually how... Uh, was actually inner service rivalries between the Galactic Army and the Galactic Navy. Okay. 
And I love. Yeah, they don't really seem to cooperate in the movies very much. They don't. In fact, the first thing, the first time you ever see Imperial officers in the movie, it's a it's a Navy officer and an Army officer uh, fighting with each other (laughs) on the Death Star. On the Death Star, about how the Death Star is vulnerable. Mm. And it basically, this article goes into some really interesting things, like that. The army is a bit resentful of the navy because the navy has all of these giant star destroyers, and they're built, and they have the Death Star, and they're kind of making the army obsolete. And the so, army doesn't even have laser guns that fired correctly. Yeah, exactly. Well, we'll get to that too. That's actually also addressed <laughs> in here. Uh, oh, okay. Because, and it, it, you know, it's all well. We'll get to that a little later, but. Uh, but if you look at the interactions between the army and the navy throughout Star Wars, like in the opening one in A New Hope, um, stormtroopers are sent to Tatooine to find this droid that has the Death Star plans on it, right? Mm-hmm. But they kind of seem like they're half-assing it a lot. Oh, totally. Like, they don't have this in the re-release, but in the original edition, they're going door-to-door in Mos Eisley, and uh, the stormtrooper knocks on the door and he goes, it's locked, move along. Yeah, he does. Right. So they're basically kind of half-assing it. They're, they're basically just resentful <laughs> of of this navy with its huge, awesome weapons that are kind of making the army obsolete. They're out in the desert. How hot does it get in those stormtrooper outfits? Right. There's no there's no AC in those things. Exactly. And they're basically down there because some navy pencil pusher made a mistake and let the freaking plans go free. <laughs> Plus. It's not like they get like cool uh well I guess later they get uh ATATs and stuff which right. maybe was like reconciliation but in in the in the re-release or maybe in the original in the mm-hmm. background they're on dewbacks right they're right they're, on- <laughs> they're basically like World War 1 America They're like the World War 1 American army they're the cavalry on dewbacks mm-hmm. They can't even get a treaded uh a treaded thing I, I, I just think it's great. And then they they also go in on this article about how the uh how the this ineptitude and in the in the structure of the Empire, uh basically like a top down structure led to terrible military contracting mm. <laughs> in the yeah. Empire. Um so like basically, you know, they have like a top down system, so like you're your army or your navy would go directly to the emperor with a project. The emperor would approve it, and then there wouldn't be any other oversight along with the project. And if the project did go bad, you don't want to be the one who goes and tells the emperor that this project is bad because you're um, going to die. Right, you're going to get strangled. You're going to get strangled to death. Or lightninged. <laughs> right. So this leads to the Death Star having tons of code violations, like high walkways without any handrails. Uh, like a shield <laughs> shutoff that is like located uh on this like in a very easy place to access. There's no auto shutoff for man-sized uh garbage disposals. <laughs> like there are tons of code violations. Not to mention uh-huh. they're building this. Like how quickly did they build that second Death Star? It was almost done. Like yeah, it's that's really true. shoddy work, and they can't get rifles that shoot straight. Yeah, not to mention, if they had just worked a 90-degree angle into the Death Star exhaust pipe, problem solved. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, the other thing is like you have you know you have the giant uh, what's the giant star destroyer? The oh the executor. Yeah, like that could get just get downed by like an errant plane running into it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's true. So basically, the empire was kind of milits. They had this huge military industrial complex, but they were kind of terrible at at executing it strategically. Mm-hmm. And the the ATATs had serious structural oh, yeah. integrity issues. Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of hilarious. Uh, and you would think the the little chicken leg walker thing on Endor would have a little bit more armor plating that you can't just take it out with a log. <laughs> I know. <laughs> oh man, it's uh, that's true. They they had a runaway military budget with no oversight. Exactly. Wow. So, so next time you watch, uh, next time you watch the trilogy, keep an eye on the the interplay between the army and navy because it actually goes through the entire trilogy of like this inter this interplay and this rivalry between the army and navy. It's great. Um, and then the other one uh, is actually comes from the New York Post. It was uh, written by Mark Jacarino, uh, and uh, it it goes about. Uh, explaining why the prequels were actually really good movies. Okay. It's it's before we get to that, I I, okay. do, I do want to take a quick step back. Yes. Um I kinda want I want to rewatch the originals mm-hmm. and I want to try and draw parallels between the decline and fall of the Empire and the j- decline and fall of the Japanese Empire in World War Two. Because mm. there's actually the it between uh well World War Two Japan was a military coup right and Tojo was an army general and he was making the decisions which is and like forcing the navy to attack the United States of America you know and right. Yamamoto who was in charge of that attack he disagreed strongly with the army so there was a huge army navy conflict and furthermore there was uh there are points where like uh. Japan needed more aircraft carriers after the Battle of Midway and then uh-huh. had to recom- uh, like backwards reconvert the battleships that were already in construction and turn them into aircraft carriers. So they had structural problems like wooden decks instead of, you know, steel decks like the American ones have. Plus not to mention the success of the kamikaze attack in uh Return of the Jedi, which did take out the executor or executor. Right. Anyway, there's some parallels. I'm gonna have to work this out. Stay tuned. <laughs> future episode of Personal Argus Podcast. Uh yeah, you know, I, and George it is it is actually said George Lucas uh drew a lot from World War II history for the Star Wars trilogy. Oh god, I, I'm gonna have to read Notice how this. the Imperial helmets look a lot like Nazi helmets, Darth Vader's helmet. Yeah, well Darth Vader's helmet was modeled off of uh samurai armor. Oh really? Oh yeah. Interesting. Uh, well, the next uh, so the next one is, is it kind of explains why the prequels are actually great. Um, and I will. I'm just going to read. Uh, I'm just going to read a, a segment of this. It says uh, the first three years of Anakin Skywalker's life are a mystery. Uh, in Padme and Anakin's first meeting in the Phantom Menace, Anakin says someone sold him to his mother, sold him and his mother Shmi into slavery. To one of the Tatooine huts. Um, later in the Phantom Menace, Liam Neeson's Jedi character Qui Gon Jinn asks Shmi how Anakin was conceived, and she tells him she had a virgin birth. 
Neeson then discovers Anakin's midichlorian count is over 20,000, higher than any Jedi or any life form. The popular and all-too-easy reading is that Anakin is the Chosen One, or the Messiah figure, who will destroy the Sith and bring balance to the Force. But Lucas used an artful red herring, uh, and it's actually clear that he is the Chosen Sith. Because in the third movie, Revenge of the Sith, Palpatine tells Anakin of Darth, Darth Plagueis the Wise while they're at the opera, and he says that Plagueis can manipulate a life form's midichlorians to create life. So it's probably mm. more plausible that Plagueis uh, influenced Shmi's midichlorians to create Anakin, and that's why Anakin's count is so high, not because of the Chosen One, but because he was created through the dark side of the Force. And it kind of goes on to say that he... Ever, all of the events of the prequels are basically Darth Plagueis, uh, Darth Plagueis' plan that he'd be picked up by Jedi, Jedi trained and then be able to take over as like the ultimate Sith warrior. Pretty Machiavellian. I think that it kind of shows that George Lucas might have known what he was doing a little bit with the prequels. Um. Yeah. Ish. Yeah, I don't know. I think he probably knew what he was doing. Yeah. I think just the execution wasn't what yeah. people were expecting. Yeah, I think it could have been... I yeah. think every one of them should have been PG-13. Or R. <laughs> <laughs> I would love if there's at least one R-rated Star Wars One R-rated Star Wars movie. It's I... like where she gets real. Yeah, I just think that... Um, I just think that... George Lucas kind of did whatever he wanted with these movies, but he still wanted to be kids' movies because really, Star Wars movies are kids' movies. Like they well, may I, have I, adult I, themes, they may have adult some intellectual storylines, and maybe some shrouded storylines like the Army Navy conflict. But it, it, at their core, they are kids' movies. Yeah. Well, I mean, when did we all fall in love with Star Wars? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, totally. And th that's why I think the. I don't know. I, I think the first three movies were a little overcomplicated. Yeah, I think they probably were too. But I, I, this actually makes me kind of want to go back and watch the first three. I've only seen Attack of the Clones and and Revenge of the Sith once. So uh, maybe I should go back and watch those again. I saw Revenge of the Sith a few times. I actually think Revenge of the Sith was good. I, yeah. I enjoyed watching that movie. Huh. Well, friend of the show Brad Oman has, uh, has, has uh, proposed a six movie Star Wars marathon in the near future. So wow. Maybe we can get that set up. Yeah. Well I'll do it after uh my baby's born so I can get her indoctrinated early. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Speaking of which, here in Port Townsend, mm -hmm. uh this weekend on Saturday, uh they're shutting down Main Street and turning it into a outdoor movie theater. Yeah, it's the film fest Port Townsend Film Festival. Uh-huh. And they're showing uh um Empire Strikes Back. Damn. Yeah. That's cool. I'll be there. <laughs> Watch for the Army Navy conflict. All right, Jesse, what's your uh, what's your second topic? Well, what's your first uh, topic? speaking of speaking of the the cinema and storytelling, I want I I want to discuss a little show that premiered piloted this week on the National Broadcasting Company. Yes. AKA NBC and that's Revolution. Yes. So, um, I I watched the pilot. I watched it on the computer, not on TV. And essentially, the premise of this show is that 
there's some sort of worldwide blackout and electricity fails and uh, the world is plunged into chaos. And then 15 years later, it's about the characters within that world and the conflicts that uh, they're, they are coming up against. Right. So uh, it's kind of told through like this small town family, kind of like farmers in the suburbs. And uh, this this evil man shows up and uh, demands to take so-and-so away. There's a conflict. Shots are fired. People run away. And it's kind of like, at this point, like a gathering of the characters and ex- and kind of exposing who's who and what's what in this series. Mm-hmm. And um, interesting concept. A little bit silly. Yeah, that's the vibe I got from it, too. I don't know if it was pulled off in the sleekest way possible. I don't think it was pulled off in the sleekest way possible. There's a lot of stuff that just downright doesn't make sense. Uh-huh. Um, honestly, when I was watching this, the whole time I kind of felt like some executive at NBC was watching The Hunger Games and was like, quick, we need a Hunger Games. Yeah. Because, like, the main character is, like, kind of a feisty lady, Mm -hmm. young adult, and uh, she's, like, a skilled hunter with the bow and arrow, and she's going to kind of lead everyone, and she has kind of, like, a dopier man friend that follows her around and is kind of useless. (laughs) (laughs) Dopey man friend. Yeah, and uh, there's a lot of, I don't know. There's there's a few parallels there, but there's also stuff that just downright doesn't make sense. Uh-huh. Like, um, at the beginning of the show, the blackout happens, and it's, like, in the middle of the street, you know, and the, the headlights of the cars are shutting down one by one. Yep. Very dramatic. And then you see the airplanes in the sky uh, start crashing. Right. But they go down in a spiral. They kind of go, like, woof, 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 and hit the ground. Right. And that's not that's not what airplanes do. That's what helicopters do. That's true. Like they wouldn't just even if the engines died, they would like yeah. the pilots would, would be at least try to glide it down. Like they yeah. wouldn't just drop out of the sky. Captain Sully landed that beast in the Hudson River right. and walked <laughs> away true. with everyone intact. That's like, true. <laughs> anyway, uh, so that was kind of silly. And another part that really stuck out to me was like, um, and I'm just sounding like a hater here, but mm. whatever. I drank my Haterade. Last week was Eric's week. Exactly. Um, <laughs> the Haterade has changed hands. Right. Um, the, there's like an evil militia, right? And it's led by the guy who plays Gus in Breaking Bad, which right. is kind of weird. Mm-hmm. And... Um, so the militia is like trying to track down like the main characters and um there's a big confrontation scene and uh so like the main characters don't have guns because it's explained that that's a hanging offense, right? Yeah. Like if you're caught with a gun you're going to get hanged. But Gus, I'm just going to call him Gus. Uh <laughs> he he has like he has an automatic pistol, so that makes him kind of a badass. And his cronies have rifles. Right. But they have black powder muzzle-loading muskets. Yeah. It's like, what, did they raid the Smithsonian Museum before <laughs> they came here? I think you're severely underestimating the number of firearms in the United States. I think so, too. Like, yeah. They would, 
what happened? Did we go back to building muskets, or did like only the muskets survive? Well, or... maybe that's it. Maybe there were like new gunsmiths who, and that's all they could make without, without machinery. I yeah maybe, <laughs> but that's a pretty strong maybe. Yeah, basically the power goes out and everybody at Colonial Williamsburg is like, yes, our time has come. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's the militia. <laughs> yeah. They're all reenactors from the Colonial Williamsburg. <laughs> and another thing, like, all the guys in this militia have, like, an M uh, right. branded on their wrists, Wrist, you know? Yeah. Uh-huh. Including the spies. <laughs> yeah. Which seems like a pretty bad idea to me. Yeah, put it on your ass. Don't put <laughs> yeah. it on your wrist. Somewhere in the Chode region. Oh, God. Something that's, like, going to be exposed immediately. Uh, I, think the <laughs> ass is sa- I think the ass is safe. Yeah, maybe. That's a lot meatier. Um, but there's another scene, like, during when the blackout is happening, you know, back in time. Yeah. And uh, one of the main characters, who's the uncle of the main chick, um, it goes back to him. Right. And uh, it turns out, like, he and his buddy go to the military base. And yeah. they, they try to get on base. He shows his military ID and he's like, I am Sergeant so-and-so. Here's my ID. And gets on base. And his buddy's like, ah, I forgot my ID. I'm Sergeant Montero. And he lifts up his uh, his arm, or his sleeve, and he has a tattoo, like an M tattoo, which is the same one as the brand. Right. And they let him on base. <laughs> like, that's okay. <laughs> Looks like your ID checked out, Sergeant. Yeah. Get on base. Mm-hmm. Uh, silly. Yeah, I just uh I just don't think that it was really pulled off in the best way. And I think that some people on Reddit kind of figured out the show already. Uh yeah. the theory rolling around is that those uh that those thumb drive like necklaces. necklaces. Yeah, the little yeah. thumb drive necklaces are what actually took all the power. Oh yeah, that's probably it. Because if you get them with like within ten feet of an electronic device it right. powers back up in some sort of Nikolai Tesla stealing energy from the air kind of way. And that's the other thing that really bothered me about this show is that if everything that ran on electricity died in the world, then humans would die too. Because guess what, ladies and gentlemen, we run on electricity. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. And it's like okay, if just the machinery that depends on electricity uh went away we still have generators. Yeah. Like, and like, it's diesel just, cars would still work. It's just a silly, it's kind of silly. It's kind of a silly premise. We wouldn't regress to like colonial times. We would regress to like 1920. Yeah. And like, yeah, you're exactly right with the diesel engines. Oh, man. Yeah. Oh, another thing that really it irritated, well, not me, but Tasha. Um, so, like, the uncle, the cool uncle Marine guy who's a badass, yeah. like, they go and track him down, and uh, he's, like, he's working in a distillery now. Yeah. And uh, they try and get him to go with them, but he's like, I'm just going to stay here and drink my whiskey. I got a bottle of the last single malt in Chicago. It's like, you're in a distillery. <laughs> you can make single malts. <laughs> Why would that be the last single malt in Chicago? <laughs> Oh, man. You can just make it. Yeah. Anyway. Well, so, Jesse, what are we uh, What are we calling the show? Is this a watch or a... Uh... Eh. I'm going to hate watch it for a couple episodes right. and see where it goes. Okay. 
So this but is a hate I don't watch. Know. It. it could be interesting. It, it doesn't have like a. It doesn't have lost style mystery though. It's just kind right. of a story, and we'll see where it goes. Yeah. Well, we'll 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 say hate watch it. Yeah, I definitely hate watch it. Okay. Uh, so uh, now it's time to do a little bit of trivia. Uh, we uh, every week we do a little bit of. Trivial Pursuit Genius 1, and we roll a six-sided die to see which category we're going to be doing. Let me get the cards out here, and let me roll the die. It is a one, Geography. Yes. Love it. All right. So please play along at home. Jesse, your first question is, what U.S. state has the most blondes? Um, I'm going to say uh, Minnesota. Damn it. That's what I was going to say. Large Scandinavian population there. Exactly. Uh, I'm going to go with Texas. Mm, good answer. Is, do they have to be natural blondes? <laughs> I don't know. Why don't you ask the question? California. <laughs> that's the dumbest question. I think that's the dumbest question we've got so far. That's All a right. cop out. Uh, what is ganja in Jamaica? That's my question. I'm going to go ahead and say <laughs> ganja is ganja. It's cannabis. It is Mary Jane. I'm going to say it's a, a a colloquial way to say Gandhi. <laughs> Marijuana, I got it. Oh, what? I never heard that before. Weird. <sighs> All right, uh, Jesse, your question is, who is the capital of North Carolina named for? Uh, Otto von Bismarck. Oh, wait. North Carolina. That's like Dakota. Yeah. I don't know. I'm still going with Otto von Bismarck. I want to say Christopher Columbus. Sir Walter Raleigh, Raleigh, North Carolina. I was thinking Columbia, South Carolina. Mm. Damn it. Okay. This one is just you need to steal the tie here. What European city is considered the center of the world banking and finance? I'm going to say Zurich. Ah, that's what I was going to say. I got to go. I got to, I don't know, London. Zurich, I got it. Nailed it. Won it this week. Hopefully you at home beat us at trivia because <laughs> um, we're we're really smart, and you should feel great about doing that. Uh, yeah, totally. <laughs> so uh, my second topic this week, I, I did one of these back in the summertime, but I think I need to revisit this. And uh, Jesse, I don't know about you, but I feel like this summer movie season was a tad underwhelming. Yeah, um, I mean, we had the Avengers, we had the Dark Knight Rises, awesome movies. But other than that, not a whole lot going on. Um, and basically, Prometheus was cool. Oh yeah, Prometheus was also great. Uh, but not really like the you know, I think those are the only three movies I went and saw in the theater this summer. I think. Wow. Yeah. Uh. So. Oh, I did. I did go see Snow White and the Huntsman at the three dollar theater. <laughs> anyway, uh, but there are some great movies that are coming out, and I want to highlight these so people can put them on their calendar. And, uh, you know, I recently read an article that basically said how how Hollywood is becoming incredibly unoriginal, like insanely unoriginal. Like the top ten grossing movies of 2011, none of them were original storylines. All of them were either sequels based on another movie or based on a book. Yeah, and there was only one original uh, top 15. Yeah. Which is Bridesmaids. Yeah, just just terrible. So there's some good movies that are coming out, and uh, 
and I'm getting excited about. So I'm going to highlight a few of these. First one is The Master, which is a Paul Thomas Anderson film. Paul Thomas. Oh Anderson. yeah, I want to see this. Really good. I mean, he's got such a good track record. Did Boogie Nights? Did uh, Punch Drunk Love, which is one of my favorite movies? Did There Will Be Blood, which is an incredible movie. Um, and so this is the next movie, The Master. It has Joaquin Phoenix in it. It's film with Philip Seymour Hoffman in it. Uh, so definitely, that's actually out already, but it only op- it opened at a very limited release um, this past week. So try to track that one down at your local art house because that's a movie that is sure to amaze. I'm excited about it. Um, but then coming out this Friday, there's two movies that I'm very excited about. First one, Dread 3D. Now, it may not be the coolest movie of the year, but I think it's going to be some expendables like callback to 80s action fun that's what i'm hoping for i like how you were you started this by being annoyed at the lack of creativity that's true but who this is like this is kind of an underpurposed property and it's a remake of kind of a a joke of a film in the first thread so i'm kind of excited about it we'll see what happens but the other one's trouble with the curve uh this is uh clint eastwood's follow-up to his uh to his chair thing that he did. Yeah, I, I don't think I'm going to watch this one. I can't wait to see it because I love baseball movies. And it's got Amy Adams in it. She's a cutie. She's a cutie. She's a cutie. Uh, <laughs> so those are both coming out this Friday. Um, and then next Friday, two other movies that are coming out there. It's a Rip Roaring Adventures, both original. First one's Looper, starring uh, uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Bruce Willis. Yeah, this I do want to uh, see. Amazing time travel plot. I really want to see it. It's from the guy who I brought you I love anything Rick. with time travel. Yeah, of course. That's why I like Lost so much. Spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> Spoiler. And uh, and then the other one is uh, End of Watch, which is like supposedly one of the most realistic cop movies ever made with Jake Gyllenhaal. Mm. And it's supposed to be like really like edge of your seat, tense action. So that was yeah, kind of he- cool. He's really trying to make himself an action star, isn't he? Well, you know, ever since uh, Prince of Persia, The Sands of Time, I think. And uh, Jarhead. And Jarhead. Yeah. Um, I, I think, you know, seeing the previews and stuff, it looks like the like probably the most real cop movie since, like, Training Day. Like, I'm excited yeah. about this movie, and it looks like it's got some really intense moments. So those are both coming up next weekend. Then in October... Uh, October 12th, you have Seven Psychopaths. This is a great indie movie. Uh, it's been getting a lot of buzz at the festivals. It's got uh, Christopher Walken as like, an awesome role in it. It's got a bunch of other actors in it. It's a big ensemble piece. looks really good. Um, Cloud Atlas is coming out on October 26th. This is the Wachowski's follow-up to uh, the Matrix trilogy. I think it's the first one. Maybe it's the first one they directed since Speed Racer. I think they might have directed Speed Racer. Um but it's kind of a genre-spanning, time-spanning movie. It's either going to be a tremendous success or a tremendous failure. So mm-hmm. those are always fun to watch. Then November 2nd, this is a movie I'm extremely excited about. Wreck-It Ralph is coming out. Have you seen the previews for this movie? Uh, remind me. It's uh, this guy, Wreck-It Ralph. He's basically like Donkey Kong. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of the character he plays. Uh, I've just heard this, about this from you. Oh, okay. But he, he basically <laughs> is tired of being the villain and decides to break out of his 8-bit video game and start game jumping. So he goes to like uh, this game called Heroes Duty, which is kind of a cross between Call of Duty and Halo. And then mm-hmm. he goes to like this Candyland racing game and all this stuff. And it, it also pays homage to a lot of uh, video game characters. So Bowser's in it, Sonic's in it, 
Qbert's in it. There's a bunch of uh, callbacks. There's Pac-Man ghosts. There's like all of these callbacks to video game characters. I'm really excited about this movie. Um, plus the the dude who's voicing uh, Wreck-It Ralph is uh, oh god Steve Brule. What's his name? Oh John C. Riley. Yeah John C. Riley or Steve yeah. Brule. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'll take Steve Brule. All right. Uh, so that's one. They should really... make a Steve Brule movie. Yeah, they should. I think, Steve, like in, in the in the style of Borat, like him being in character, but with like real people. Oh, that would be. I was thinking maybe they should have Steve Brule be a character in the Anchorman two. Or that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Steve Brule rules the world. Yeah, Steve Brule. He's gonna be like the television doctor for Action News Seven. Um, <laughs> So, uh, and then uh, uh, November 9 is another double. You got Lincoln coming out, which is Steven Spielberg, Daniel Day-Lewis, Lincoln movie, historical oh, fiction. Yeah. I'm excited about it. Uh, then Skyfall also comes out that day. Extremely excited about the next James Bond movie. Javier Bardem is the villain. Let's do this. It looks awesome. Directed by Sam Mendes. I can't wait for Skyfall November 9th. Um, and then December is bringing the heat with The Hobbit coming out December 14th. Let's, let's, yeah, that looks great. Let's wind up another Tolkien trilogy. Yeah. Um, and then This Is 40 is coming out on December 21st. Not probably as engaging to the kiddos, but this is Judd Apatow's next movie. Um, and it's a little bit of a spinoff from Knocked Up. It's the couple from Knocked Up, Judd, uh, uh, Paul Rudd and Judd Apatow's wife. I can't remember what her name is. Uh, but they, uh, they're playing the same characters from that movie, but it's kind of a commentary on being older but it should be funny and i kind of like this world that he's building um there's kind of like this weird judd apatow mythos that's building with like forgetting sarah marshall and like get him to the greek and like all this all these movies are starting to connect together which is Mm. kind of exciting and i like judd apatow so that one's that's that's a nice digestible film for the family um Mm -hmm. and then december 25th with a punch in the face and the call out of the year it's Django Unchained, Quentin Tarantino's next movie. I'm so excited. This is a Christmas present to me, and I am ready to cap off the year with a little Tarantino. Wow. So are you excited? Because this fall looks pretty good movie-wise. Yeah, I, I like the amount of original stuff that's going into exactly. this. Exactly. Exactly. So Dread is not original. What else? Cloud Atlas not original. Skyfall is a sequel. The Hobbit is not original. But all those other movies are all original films. That is awesome. Let's do more of this, people. I hope that yeah, these films do well so that we can get more original content. Yeah, um, they'll all bomb, though, and they'll just be like, more Pirates of the Caribbean. Exactly. We need more more uh, movies based off of toys and Disneyland rides. That's what we need. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <sighs> well, that's exciting. Jesse, what's your second topic? Well, um, I want to go back in time. Because there's right. a couple of uh, little historical tidbits that have been making the news cycle. Uh-huh. And uh, I think you'll be very excited about this one. Okay. So apparently in uh, 1955, the United States government undertook a research uh, project. Mm-hmm. They wanted to find out if, uh, if in the event of a nuclear explosion, yeah. would it be safe... To consume the beer that was uh, near the explosion. <laughs> near beer. Yeah, the near beer. Uh-huh. So uh, they exploded a nuclear <laughs> bomb, and they, they buried a bunch of uh, different beverages, not just beer, but soft drink and water and stuff, 
But a lot of it is definitely very beer heavy. Right. Um, a quarter mile or more away from the blast and then retrieved them and uh, gave them the old taste test to see if it was uh, one, to see if it was radioactive and two, to see how it tasted. <laughs> Do you think they probably tested radioactive radioactivity before they tasted it? No, because I think it has to go through the liver first. and Holy then. Uh, shit, who are these people? <laughs> it was the 50s. Yeah. Science was hard and fast back then. Ask, <laughs> ask anyone. Uh, so basically, they found that the closest ones that survived, which were you know a quarter of a mile away, uh-huh. uh, they tasted the they tested them for radioactivity first to okay. answer your question. Yeah, and um, quote it did not carry over to the contents. Oh. So the beer inside, and I, this was all glass bottles. Don't know about cans. Oh, maybe there were cans. Anyway, regardless, <laughs> the beer was safe to drink. Yeah, how'd it taste? And that, yeah, um, the the report goes on to say, in immediate taste tests, uh, indicate that the beverages, both beer and soft drinks, were still of commercial quality. Although there was evidence of a slight flavor change in some of the product exposed at uh, 1,270 feet from ground zero. Uh, the most blasted beers were, quote, definitely off. Very specific. Yeah. <laughs> that was definitely off. Uh, so, yeah. So, yeah, if you're uh, ever in uh, a quarter mile radius of a nuclear explosion, and if you're wondering if that Nuka-Cola or uh, oh nice cold beer is still safe to drink, go for it. Do you understand that this completely debunks all the fallout? <laughs> yeah. It's true. Tired of drinking the nuka cola and getting radiation poisoning. This is not scientifically accurate. Well, if only they had read this uh, recently declassified information. <laughs> oh, here's another thing I like about it. Code name: Operation Teapot. Oh, huh. yeah, it's kind of cute. Yeah, I'd love to be a a code name maker maker upper. <laughs> yeah, I think that would be a pretty sweet gig. Yeah, I think I feel like they were better in the day. Now it's like Operation Iraqi Freedom. That's a little on the nose for me. Operation Patriotic Eagle Soar. <laughs> yeah, I do like Desert Storm though. Desert Storm's pretty good. I think Desert Storm may have been the last of the great code names. Yeah, I mean Enduring Freedom. Yeah, Enduring Freedom's pretty lame. Yeah. Do you have, have any like... any good operation names? I don't know. I I need to know what the mission was. Okay, how about for uh, the Baltic conflict in the 90s? The Baltic conflict. Operation Vodka Boil. I was going to say Operation Russian Nesting Dude. (laughs) Because we sent dudes there. Okay, maybe not my best word. I don't know about that one. (laughs) What's your uh, second news story? Okay, second news story. So this is really cool. Um... They've discovered a human skull um, appropriately from uh, Eastern Europe that's 6,500 years old. And the guy, uh, it was found in Slovenia. Uh And uh, the the guy who the skull came from had a broken tooth. He had a big rupture in his tooth. Yeah. And uh, it was mended. He had patched it up with beeswax. Oh, 
and it's it's basically the oldest indication of dentistry. Interesting. Yeah, I think it's pretty cool. God, that's it, that blows my mind a little bit. And Why it, is for that? a couple of reasons. First of all, I don't think that would work, and I think you'd probably still have a toothache. Second of all, that means that they were also at least getting bee like honey at that time. Like Yeah. That kind of that's kind of crazy. Like you had if I was a Neanderthal and I didn't really have anything to protect me against bee stings, uh-huh. I wouldn't be going after beehives. But like they at well, that you, time were you figuring have out some ways recent to do it. experience with it. I do. We were sitting in bees. <laughs> and I got out of there. Yeah, I would love to see what this was like with the ancient humans. I imagine it was probably like a smash and grab operation. Yeah, or like a rock. It was like throwing rocks at them until they fell down. Yeah. And then you wait a day. And then you come back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah so it was a 24 this... to 30-year-old man. Uh-huh. Um, left canine tooth, possessing a vertical crack in his heart and navel, and softer dentin layers. Uh, the severe wear and tear seen on the tooth was probably due to activities besides eating. Wait, what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, who probably knows like, what this guy was up to? Well, probably like biting rope or opening packages. Yeah. The Okay. Uh, the men might have used their teeth to soften leather or help make tools. Yeah. And the women bit down on threads to hold them while weaving. Well, uh-huh. that seems kind of... Gender normative, but okay. (laughs) Um, Well, here, this might answer the question. uh, The researchers found beeswax had been applied to the left canine at about the time of the man's death. (laughs) So it appears to have not gone so well. It was really, it was a mortician job. They were trying to dress (laughs) him up for the funeral. (laughs) I've seen Six Feet Under. I know how this thing works. Yeah, they could not confirm whether the filling was made shortly before or after the person's death. You might be right here, Eric. Yeah, it's a little, or maybe it's some maybe it was he was uh the donated his body to science and went to the local <laughs> dentistry school where they could work <laughs> on his teeth. I mean, before local anesthetics, you did not want to have dentistry happen to you. Yeah. Uh apparently these researchers are taking it a little too far. Um the researchers would like to conduct dental experiments with people to see how effective the remedy beeswax is. Uh, (laughs) Let's not. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and say probably not that effective. Probably not that effective. The guy died or was dead. (laughs) And this is back when people were tougher. Exactly. This is back when people ripped open beehives with their bare hands. (laughs) And mouth. Maybe that's how he got it in there. Maybe he was just chewing on it. That's totally it. He had a crack. He was chewing on this beehive, getting the honey out, filled up with beeswax, and then he died because he's allergic to bee stings. And he was covered in bees the whole time. He's covered in bees, getting stung, went to anaphylactic shock, died, had beeswax in his. This is this is a this is open and shut case. Yeah, uh, we've cracked the case. Yes, we've cracked the case and the teeth. Well, um, yeah, I think we can move on from there. All right. Well, uh, we earlier in the show, we talked about some viewer mail we got. We get so excited when we get viewer mail, when we get listener feedback, and uh, we'd love it if you gave us some, especially if you haven't done it yet. We would really appreciate the hearing from you. Um, you can get a hold of us at personalarrogates at gmail.com. You can 
Go to our Facebook page. You go to the Personal Arrogance Facebook page or the Bald Move Facebook page. Uh, we're at both places. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at Personal Podcast. You can also uh, rate and review us on iTunes. We always appreciate that. We do have a voicemail line. You can call in. It goes straight to voicemail. You can leave us a voicemail. We'll play it on the cast. If you call us at 360-362-0024. Or you could go over to baldmove.com. Check out all the Bald Move podcasts. Right now, a little bit of a hiatus until The Watching Dead starts up again. Get your zombie-fied zombie-vacation ready. And apparently there's also going to be a premiere party in Indianapolis. So if you're hanging out around Indy uh, for the watching for the Walking Dead, go to the Watching Dead uh, premiere party. Be sure to RSVP to that on the Facebook page. But, uh, but yeah, just tell a friend. That's the best thing you could do, uh, and we'd really appreciate if you did that. You can do any of those things, and we'll be super excited. That's true. Except I'm still going to be bummed that I have to miss that premiere. Yeah, I know. I kind of want to go so bad. Yeah, me too. You know, we could have a Seattle premiere. That's a good point. Well, maybe if we hear some listener feedback for a <laughs> Seattle Walking Dead premiere, we might be able to put that together. But um, in the meantime, why don't we do some recommendations to call it a cast? What do you say? I agree. All you right. go first. Okay. Well, my first recommendation is going to be a little bit of music that's come out recently. I'm very excited about. Uh, the brand new Killers album is out. It's called Battleborn. Uh, I don't know why I love the Killers so much, but I do. And this new album sounds a lot like a classic Bruce Springsteen album. So I'm very excited about it. Also, Band of Horses, local Seattle band on a worldwide stage. have a new album out, so go check that out on iTunes. And, Jesse, I know this is one of your favorites. Uh, you know, I just met you. This is crazy. Uh, here's our podcast, so listen, maybe. It's Carly Rae Jepsen. Finally, her full-length studio album, Kiss, is out. So be sure to listen to that and get something else stuck in your head. Great. Yeah. Uh, my first recommendation is for our listeners in Copenhagen. All right. Because the Blargaden <laughs> Public Library in <laughs> Copenhagen has an extensive uh, board game selection you can check out, Say including what? Blood Bowl Team Manager. Say what? Blargaden. Blargaden? Blargaden. God damn it. I want to go to Blargaden. Yeah, me too. So, um, yeah, check that out if you're in Copenhagen. If you're not, check out Blood Bowl Team Manager. It's a great game. Great game. Pretty good game. Um, and uh, my recommendation this week is going to be some things you can check out on Netflix uh, that I really, really enjoyed. Uh, Jiro Dreams of Sushi. Love this documentary about the best sushi, se- sushi chef in Japan. That sounds um, pretty dope. What's it called? Jiro Dreams of Sushi. It's about this 85-year-old guy. He's been making sushi for since he was 10 years old. and So wait, let me do some math now. Yeah. That's like 50 years. That's like, it's like, I think it's like 100 years. Yeah, you're probably right. Or, I don't know. Uh, but he has this restaurant. It's 300 bucks a plate for about Whoa. 15 minutes. It's about, per minute, it's for the most expensive restaurant in the world. It's located in a subway station in Tokyo. And you have to make reservations a year in advance. And it basically just goes through like his work ethic and how he became this person. It's a very, very interesting movie, and I really enjoyed it. Um, also, Hot Rod is on there. I love this movie, Andy Samberg. Oh, Hot Rod's on Netflix? I love it, dude. I know what I'm doing tonight. It's so good. I love that movie so much. It's got Andy Samberg. It's got uh, Bill Hader. It's got the dude from uh, Eastbound and Down. I've come up with too many actors' names tonight. I can't remember his name. It's- <laughs> 
It's got Isla Fisher. It's a great movie. It's awesome. I love it. It's so funny. Um, it, it's really hilarious. Yes. It's totally underrated. Totally underrated. And it's set in Washington, which you got to enjoy. Is it? It is. It's set in the state of Washington. Probably I didn't shot even in know Vancouver. That. But, uh, and then the last one is Resurrect Dead, which is a documentary about the Toy and Bee tiles. Have you heard about the Toy and Bee tiles? I have not. Basically, there's all of these tiles that are embedded in the pavement around the eastern seaboard. And now, and there were also some embedded in South America. And now they're kind of spreading out throughout the United States. They're called Toynbee tiles. And they kind of show up out of nowhere. And they say, they all have the same message. It's Toynbee idea, resurrect dead, planet Jupiter, Stanley Kubrick's 2001 movie. Not specifically in that order, but th- that's the basic message on all these. And this documentary kind of uncovers the whole mystery behind that. They f- kind of figure out who's behind it, what their motives were, and it goes into like shortwave radio. It goes into like conspiracy theories. It goes into all this stuff. It's a really, really interesting documentary, and it got me a lot more excited than I thought it would when I originally just cl- clicked play. So and what's that called? It's called uh, Resurrect Dead, The Mystery of the Toy and Bee Tiles. That sounds awesome. It's really cool. It's so Jiro uh, Dreams, Sushi Hot Run, and Resurrect Dead. If you got some time this week on Netflix, go ahead and check those out. Jesse, what's your recommendation? Uh, my recommendation, speaking of Japan, uh-huh. is a little beer, a, a tiny little niche craft beer I enjoy. Uh-huh. That's Sapporo. Oh, Sapporo. I really like Sapporo. I've been I drinking a little it. bit of it lately. I love their cans. Yeah. I love how solid their cans are. I right? like the shape of it, and mm-hmm. I like the beer. I like Sapporo. I like uh, I like Ichiban as well. Yeah, I like Sapporo more. Yeah. Sapporo Moro. I do. It's. I love those, uh, you know, we're getting out of the hot weather here, but I love those in hot weather. I love, like, Asian lagers. Like yeah, Sapporo. Japanese lagers are great. Well, also uh, Singhai. Yeah, or Tiger. Yeah. Yeah, there's some great Asian lagers out there. They really Absolutely. they know how to beat the heat there. Definitely. Well, cool, man. So you got movies, you got music, you got books, and what was your other recommendation? Oh, and, and you got Copenhagen. Yeah. So I think that's about all we could give you this week, Jesse. Yeah, I think, I mean, if you asked for more, you'd be kind of greedy. You'd be a little bit greedy. Yeah. So uh, so be sure to come back next week, and we'll pour another hour of sound into your eardrums. But uh, <laughs> until then, please remember that wherever you go... And whatever you do... Please stay, stay arrogant. arrogant.